Want to hear some inside scoop? If your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are, you gotta check out Kohl's. I got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks, Jansport backpacks for 25% off, and 30% off Levi's jeans for me. I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash. So, yeah, not sure who's more excited right now, me or the girls. Select styles. 15% off ends August 15th. Levi's coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store calls account for details. Minute Maid's slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced that she is running for governor of Arkansas in 2022. You know, I thought she did a good job at the White House um, during her time, you know, along with uh, Kaylee McEnany. You know, uh, I actually got a chance to meet her briefly at Politicon um, in 2019. Got a chance to take a picture and everything. Um, And I heard that she's going to be speaking at CPAC. Maybe, just maybe, if I (laughs) try really hard, maybe I might get it uh, a couple minutes for <laughs> uh for trend chat but nah, i'm not not gonna hold my breath but i'll i'll give it a shot but um that being said you know you know whether it's sarah or kaylee i'll tell you one thing you know they are definitely better than miss circleback we got right now i can i'll circle back if there's more i can share with you I'd, i'll circle back with you if there's more to convey um i'll have to just circle back with you we can circle back with i'm, I'm happy to circle back with you i can circle back i will have to circle back on that one that's an excellent question oh such an important question uh we will circle back with you and we'll, we'll circle back with you it's an interesting question but uh we'll, ha- we'll circle back i'm happy to circle back but i'll have to circle back with you on it. it's a good question but we'll circle back with you on this today we will certainly circle back with you more directly uh, i hate to disappoint you but i will have to circle back with you on that as well From the highways of America, here's the podcast where we talk politics, a little entertainment, some culture, and this and that, from the road to your ears. This is Trend Chat with your host, Brian Bledsoe. And welcome to another episode of Trend Chat. I am your host, Brian Bledsoe. And if you want to connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, at Brian L. Bledsoe, at TrendChat247 on Facebook. Also, TrendChat is on Telegram. <laughs> TrendChat is on Gab now. Uh, I noticed um, that um, Parler is not back up yet, even though I just saw the news that they fired their CEO. Uh, don't know what that means, but uh, we're on parlor, just Brian Bledsoe. So yeah, all the 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 mainstream social media platforms, as well as the alternative ones, you know, just in case uh, <laughs> we get banned or kicked off with all the major um, 
social media platform so we're we're on there as well and also our email is brian what no, no it ain't what is it <laughs> like i don't have brian in none of my emails i don't know why i mentioned that but <laughs> um trend chat 24 7 at gmail.com so you know we're broadcasting recording right now in kentucky i don't know where in kentucky um paducah i don't know if i'm even saying that right but i'm um but yeah so just to i notice i don't mention where because you know i'm on the road all the time and so i should try to um at least try to tell everyone like where i'm recording from and just thinking about the last episode where we talked with hillary kennedy about um uh, uh, well we talked about numbers about ufc but um <laughs> we kind of taught you know started talking about stocks and after everything that happened in the past week or so it, like man we talked about stocks a week too early <laughs> if um <laughs> we've been able to talk about everything that happened with amc and GameStop and robin hood and all of them um but um i'll well i guess i'll <laughs> mention a couple of things about it for well first off let me just say like i said in the last episode i am not a financial advisor at by no means so um but i i don't know do i need to give like a disclosure for this because i'm talking about stocks but I, I, I guess full disclosure i guess uh i am uh, um you know I use Robinhood. I've been using Robinhood for a couple of years now. Also, I have stock in AMC before all of this. I had stock last year in AMC. So, so in saying that, when AMC, when that stock just went through the roof, I was like, what in the world is going on? I didn't even know what, what was happening um, until I started looking around. Then I saw the articles in Robinhood and all that. Anyway, um, not finna get into everything about Robin Hood and what they did as far as restricting trading and all that. Matter of fact, I know I was, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what was going on. I was wondering why, why I'm seeing these like warnings on this stock all of a sudden. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> you know, oof, what, with what going, with what, with what is going on with Robin Hood? Yeah, that's a lot to say, but, um, like a tongue twister. But, um, with Robinhood and restricting the trading of not only AMC, it was a number of them, AMC, GameStop, I think and it was a couple of Blackberry, um, Nokia, and they all come you know, from basically an online forum on Reddit, uh, Wall Street Bets. And like, I don't know much about it. I, I, I was on Reddit for a short time. I haven't been on there in at least over a year. Um, but it just where you had a group just come together and say, we're going to um, buy this particular stock. And it was like, it was, well, mainly game, uh, GameStop, but also you had AMC as well. And, and others, like I mentioned, and that, and that just <clears throat> skyrocketed those stock. Um, and all of a sudden it just, the, the market just went crazy over just, just over those stocks it's not like the whole market overall was going wild it was just those particular stocks because they were the ones that were targeted by um uh by the by the reddit group and um 
Then all of a sudden, I think like the next day, that's when I caught wind of it because that's when Robin Hood started restricting trading to AMC and GameStop and others and all that. And then that, you know, blew up and <laughs> had everyone talking about, um, about Robin Hood protecting hedge fund managers and all that. And <laughs> then they was hit with a class action lawsuit. And I don't know where that's going to go, but if it goes all, you know, if it goes forward, you know, as someone that used Robinhood, I'm guessing I'm going to get one of those letters in the mail or, you know, or email or something. I think, I think there's a class action suit for all these companies. I don't know if I'm the only one. I know I, I can't be that get these like random letters in the mail about, um, there's a class action lawsuit against so-and-so company. <laughs> and if you sign on, like I've signed on to a couple of those and I've noticed, if they win, you know, like you only get like five bucks <laughs> or a couple of cents, <laughs> even that. So I, I remember one for EA for some reason. I forgot what it was, but I remember getting a check for like, I think, I think it was for EA, but, but I know I've, <laughs> I've agreed to some of these, um, you know, class action suits. And then, you know, when the compensation <laughs> comes around, it'd be like a couple of dollars. But, uh, anyway, that's what's happening with Robin Hood right now. And I know, like I said, if, um, if it moves forward, I guess I'll, you know, we'll see, um, uh, what happens there. But here's my thing about it. For one, if uh, in the terms and conditions for Robin Hood, um, you no, know, when you sign up, there are, especially when it comes to stock, there's a lot of paperwork that you have to sign, even though it's just like pretty much signing up for an app with terms and conditions. Like it has all of this, you know, language in there, but you could just kind of skip over and just click, <laughs> you know, I accept the terms and conditions and keep going. And, um, you know, what's, what, what, what is going on now, especially talking about Robin Hood in particular, because if you don't know, this is, it's a app where you can basically invest, you know, without putting in thousands of dollars, which that is the trend now that, you know, now all the major stock, you know, brokers, brokers are not uh, charging commission and all that. Cause at first for a long time, you have to, you know, put up a, a good sum of money just to uh, trade stock. But all that has changed and Robinhood was kind of one of the first ones that kind of started that for people to just start investing with just five bucks. So that being said, you know, I would consider Robinhood a, like a starter app into investing. So, you know, you can, because you can just download the app and just, you know, put five bucks down and on a stop, um, and, you know, get, get going. And as, and, and with all that convenience, right? <laughs> it's not surprising that they will have a, a good bit of, of control when it comes to actually trading. And, you know, it's when I see about what's going on, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you have this fancy app where you can just go on and trade for five bucks 
or more i'm saying but that's like the I think, well it's not even five it's like a dollar what i'm saying you can if um as far as trading and you can just use this app and they have all these services and you can do all this and just and trade on the stop on wall street and to think that they didn't wouldn't have a measure of control over what you can trade it's not surprising because i mean for all this that you're getting with robin hood yeah there's going to be something else um that's there's a catch in there somewhere let's put it that way and that's the catch they have control over uh, as far as trading now you know they did this i mean obviously they don't want to do this all the time but i will say this ain't the first time because like i said i've used robin hood i've been using robin hood for years um for at least two or three years and this ain't the first time they've done this this is just the first time i guess everyone has caught wind of it i guess because as someone that uses robin hood there's been times where i you know there's certain stock i can't trade on robin hood every um every stock is not on robin hood and all that so this this has happened before and it's just something i didn't really think much about for one i wasn't going to buy it or whatever like that i just didn't think twice about it but i also understand what this is because so i'll put it this way <clears throat> if you want more control over you know if you want direct you know i guess um control you know or want to be or at least want more control as far as when it comes to buying stock um i would just say for one try to do it yourself which i don't even know how um how to do that but that would be best to just do it yourself but i think you have to like be a licensed broker or something like that which i'm pretty sure probably comes with a lot of fees and regulations that goes with that or you know find another service that is one that has more resources and more well established uh, as i said before i think it's you know robin hood is more of a starter app so i mean even for myself at where i'm at now like if i had more in <clears throat> in the stock market i i was already thinking of moving if i you know if i got up to a certain point i was thinking of moving before all this happened so it's not like i'm be one of the ones that leaving because of this because i'm still gonna stay with robin hood i'm still on there um but um if i get to a certain point i'm just gonna move to another um broker and with you know that's more established and has more resources um that uh, that are out there and so i mean that's how for one that's how they advertise themselves as you know kind of just an app to get people started and um and, you know with that comes with other things that i think people just realized in the past week or so that uh, robin hood uh, with with everything that come with it had some other things in their terms and conditions that they just realized so now look with all that being said um with everything that, that went down from the reddit group to with robin hood and also it's not just robin hood robin hood was just one because a lot of the major brokers uh did it too td ameritrade charles swab um um a lot of them uh, Webull, they all did the same thing as robin hood that's getting all the attention but yeah the others that did the same restricting of trading um that robin hood did and um i'm you know i don't know if they're going to get class action suits as well but yeah so um 
but yeah, with everything, with the you know hedge fund managers, with uh, Robinhood, and you know all the other brokers, you know, like and like I said, Reddit, not all the Reddit groups, and you know with Wall Street bets, it's funny because I also saw an article that um, there already is a movie in the works, and <laughs> but um, but yeah, personally, I just think every part of this, every step of this. At, you know, actually should be investigated. Actually, um, I, I'm guessing you know that's probably not the, a very popular thing to say because pretty much most people are kind of more sympathetic to everyone that's uh, invested on Reddit. Um, and you know, I'm saying that everyone should be investigated. So whether we're talking about you know market manipulation and all of that. So as far as the hedge fund managers and if they did something illegal as far as what what they did to the stock before all of this and also if it's on the other end as far as what what the um wall street bets in you know reddit group did as far as coming together and i mean if that's considered collusion as far as all of them you know buying the stock and holding it as much as just on the other side as far as the hedge fund managers betting on it to on um, a stock to fail and all of that and like I said, all of them should be investigated and then just let the chips fall where they may. It is funny because this is a, a issue that kind of has brought both sides of the aisle together to a degree. Um, <laughs> I know I, I saw with uh, AOC as far as she was talking about investigating and then Ted Cruz came around and said, I agree with it, but she didn't accept. She didn't want to accept um, his um uh, his agreement, I guess, of it, um, and all of that, it just like, you know, it, it, it only brought the two sides together, at least in DC to a degree. But, um, but yeah, so I just, you know, all of this should be just looked at and front, you know, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some sort of investigation of some sort, whether it's in DC or the, you know, on the congressional level at the uh, SEC, it's not the not the football <laughs> conference, but the financial <laughs> uh, department. But um, but yeah, you know, just investigate everybody in this because this one, you know, there's another thing about this, especially if you're talking about everyone that is buying the GameStop stock and you know that's that's um all of this that's going on with these particular stock in particular just um i mean there are a lot of i, I know it's being kind of categorized basically really just like one side like it's really just black and white i guess just you know one side the billionaire hedge fund managers against the little guy of uh, of reddit that's kind of just how it's been framed um but that being said there are in the middle of all this these are actual companies with employees so um so you all this is going on are going you know it's going to affect not only those employees in the long run who knows with all this is going on it's uh it's crazy <laughs> with all of that i mean a lot of things can affect a lot of people and not just employees also 
when it comes to investing because not only it's not just i mean i know it's easy to look at the billionaire um hedge fund man managers and all of that all those companies but there's also all these other people in between that are investing um you know that we're investing in between you know before this and that are caught up in it as well and you got people losing money you know a lot of people made money too so but that's also that, that comes with investing because you know obviously whether whatever whatever investing firm you're going to go with they're always going to mention you know that there's a you know a, a degree of risk and all of that and so you know so you got people making money and also you got people losing money too um in this uh, and it ain't just all billionaires too that are, that are the ones that are losing money and um because also you have people that are, that got on on this and then you know probably put too much into it and all anyway so yeah there's a lot more to it than just than just uh what's going on there's a lot of other uh, elements that are involved that can be um helped or hurt in this so it kind of goes goes both uh, both ways so anyway uh we 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 need to get to our interview um with sarah long which i have not mentioned in 20 minutes but you saw the the episode the title of it you know history has its eyes on you with sarah long so we we have an interview um with the makeup historian sarah long where we're you know, going to talk about the play Hamilton and been looking forward to this, to talk about this play only because, you know, I mean, I'm not into musicals, which I talk about in the interview. I'm not going to reiterate, but, um, the just stuff talking about history, just kind of something that's interesting. And the fact that I, you know, know a historian, (laughs) you know, get a chance to talk with her about it. So, uh, so after, this word from young Americans against socialism. Oh, uh, matter of fact, let's just, let's see. I'm picking up a matter of fact, I haven't played from politics in a while. Let's go with, go with that actually. And so after, uh, politics, uh, we'll be back and have this interview with Sarah. Hello, this is Brian Bledsoe, host of Trend Chat. Also, contributor at Politichicks.com. Here to tell you about the new book called Politichicks, A Clearing Call to Political Activism. With over 300 pages from contributors like myself, talking about topics such as education, social issues, healthcare, the Second Amendment, and of course, activism. I encourage you all to check it out at Politichicks.com and is also available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. What's going on, y'all? This is Brandon Tatum. Make sure you go to Trend Chat, check it out, listen to it. One of the best shows that I've ever been on. So make sure you go check it out, man. God bless y'all. Trend Chat is proud to be a part of the hashtag Life Tribe of Cultural Life as they seek to celebrate life through the world of fashion. Go to col1972.com and get 10% off your purchase when you enter the code Trend Chat. Tens of thousands on my right, thousands by my side. War between good and evil.
never watching our fists collide Battle for our freedom now, to the streets we ride Flags waving all around, pages full of pride This is where we make a stand, no more give or take March around the capital, storm the city gates Putting pressure on their necks until the truth breaks All walls of corruption, take out all the snakes Star Spangled Banner, got it playing loud and proud People from all walks of life filling up the crowd Defend the constitution, many warriors avowed Casting down any among us who have bucked and cow Enough with tyranny, we come to take our country back For all citizens, white, red, brown, or black Return her to a form of glory, fix the bloody crack On the crown, fetch it down, it's going down Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. And we're back with breaking news. The new Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. With an improved taste and zero calories, make sure... Jim. Ooh, yes. This tastes like the best Coke ever to me. We're on the air. I need to try it first. Con cero azúcar y ahora mucho más rica. ¿Será que la nueva Coca-Cola Zero Sugar es la mejor de todas? Descúbrela. It's not every day you get a chance to play a chart-topping song on here because, you know, we don't get permission to play a lot of songs. So, um, you know, thanks to Topher for allowing me for playing his song, which has been number one in uh, on Billboard and iTunes and everything. So, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I reached out and said, hey, can I play this on the podcast? Because most times it's not even worth even... <laughs> sending out a message to a lot of these major music companies because they for one they don't even respond so but yeah um but yeah so that was the patriot by Topher featuring the marine rapper and actually have two because the one you just heard actually was banned for a while um uh, on all the major music platforms uh, spotify and itunes as well but it, it's back on and now they did a remix and now that's also you know high on the charts as well anyway we'll play that at the end um if i remember so <laughs> let's get to our interview with sarah long but before i do just want to mention one thing about this um 1776 commission which um, president biden has now decommissioned <laughs> has you know done away with now uh, it's you know not surprising but they also before um well, before Biden took office, actually, they did a report and unsurprisingly, you know, media was trashing the report, you know, with their preferred historians, you know, and talking about um, it's um, it's not worth reading or whatever like that. And one criticism the media used a, a bunch, like when I was watching a number of reports with all of these um, um, uh, media types and, you know, one criticism that that they put out for that particular report was that no actual historians contributed to the report. And, um, I found that funny because this is the same media that applauded that 1619 project 
that was written by quote unquote journalists in the New York Times. There were no historians in that. Hannah Jones don't, you know, she's not a historian, but that was applauded. And to the point that now a lot of uh, what, what is in the 1619 project is being implemented in schools across the country. But no one talks about how, you know, there was no actual historians contributed to that um, um, piece of trash <laughs> that is being put in um, our schools right, um, right now. So anyway, let's get to our interview because uh, for one, this is a, you know, we talked for an hour. So sit back and get ready. Here's our interview with Sarah. Oh, there's a trench at. And we are <laughs> very pleased to have this is the first and maybe i don't know maybe the only interview well video interview with uh the makeup historian sarah long so we're going to talk about the play hamilton and you know we're going to talk about just not only just the play but things surrounding it but it's kind of focused on the play which is on disney plus um for the past couple of months and i've watched it a number of times and and there was the whole reason why I even thought about doing this interview was in the play, there is a, a part close to the end where um, Eliza Hamilton is talking about uh, it just, it's a line saying let future historians wonder. And so when I heard that line, the first thing I thought about, well, I know a historian and I wonder <laughs> what she's wondering about this. And just not, just not that in particular, but just about this whole, this whole play and you know, what, um, what has been embellished and what is, you know, what is accurate. So that is what we're going to be talking about, just Hamilton in, in general. So, uh, Sarah, how are you doing? I'm, well, everyone can see you right now. This is kind of awkward because I've never done a video <laughs> interview. And normally I, I don't have the fancy stuff where I could take you out of frame and then bring you in and say, hey, here you are. But no, you're already here. Everyone else seeing you. So if um, what people don't know, she's a returning guest. And so I guess let people know and, um, you know, what you what you do and and everything. And I guess we'll get into this um, discussion on Hamilton. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show again. I'm really excited and I feel very honored that this is a visual interview. Maybe I hope it's not the last one. I hope you get to do, you know, lots more. Um, but basically, long story short, uh, my nickname, the makeup historian, it derives from my very random career change. I used to be a professional makeup artist and then decided to pursue history. And now I currently work as a history professor. So very, very humbled that I get to pursue something I'm really passionate about for work. And yeah, and thankfully, I still get to dabble in makeup a little bit, too. So that's fun. And we were just talking a little bit about how my uh, it's not official just yet, but my maybe manager was giving me a little bit of a little bit of crap, you know, <laughs> saying like you can't you can't show up on a visual interview as the makeup historian and not have your makeup done. Not that I wouldn't, but still, you kind of you and him kind of revved up the pressure a little bit. I was like, dang, oh. I gotta I gotta you know get dolled up. <laughs> oh, wait, I didn't mean to put that put any no, pressure no, on you. you <laughs> Yeah, but I'm really excited, and I'm I'm excited to talk about Hamilton too. It's been quite the controversial topic, so. Yeah, you know, I guess first off, I would just mention, um, and I guess to kind of get a political point out of, out of the way, is um, is the fact that Hamilton is 
um, is the focus of this play, and it's and it's so popular, and you know, on, on Broadway and, and everything. And after a while, well, I knew this before watching the play, but the fact of that they're wanting to do a play on Alexander Hamilton, I kind of understand that, especially. Well, liberals in particular probably love Hamilton in the fact that because he wanted to start a, start a national bank and and all of that and it, it feel like you know like he was more a proponent of bigger government. Now I would I would propose that I'm pretty sure even the size of government now he probably would be like okay this is too big. But but in, the, <laughs> but in that sense he was still for a bigger government than everyone I would say to everyone else at that time. And I feel like all a lot of his ideals were things that you know um, people from the progressive side of side of view tend to um, tend to want want to glamorize for the country as opposed to all the other founder fathers. Now I'm just saying that that's just, just a statement. You don't have to have to comment on that. Um, I just want to get that political point out the way. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so other um so one thing I was wondering. So in watching the play and all the things that were going on, and so, I mean, there's not a lot of controversies about Hamilton in this play, even though there was one about uh, about the affair that he had um, um, with um, with Miss Reynolds. Can't remember her first name, but <laughs> um, so and that was in the play. And then I guess maybe the sense of that I know there's one song in there is about him about. Uh, why you feel like you're the smartest in the room? So I guess it's more of a sense of that he was very arrogant, and mm. and stuff like and stuff like that. <laughs> and yeah. so and that he wrote a lot. And but I mean that's not a controversy, but it's just that you know there was another another song in it where it just talks about that he just writes nonstop. He just wrote so much, and then at the end, Eliza, you know, tried to make sense. <laughs> she says to try to make sense of all her, all of his writings and all all of that. Like I said, that's not so much a controversy, but I just want to ask you, what other controversies that weren't covered in the play? Well, I think, especially in regards to right now, the biggest controversy that I'm noticing is what's going on within the field because of the different ways and the times that this play was introduced. You mean in the, through. Mean in the history, of, in the field of history? Yeah, amongst oh. historians, there's a lot of controversy. I mean, uh, many of us adore the play, but most of us would agree, you know, that it's not 100, it, because it's not, it's not 100% historically accurate. So although we may love it from a creative standpoint, and we like that it uh, prompts this whole new generation to explore the colonial era of American history, we, there's a, we get into, you know, quite a bit of debate about certain aspects of the play. And it's, to me, what really stands out is the play originally, I, I believe it came out on Broadway in 2016. So, you know, you had to be able to afford to go see the play and um, somehow figure out how to get the ticket. So it was introduced to a very specific socioeconomic class within American society uh, when it was on Broadway. Then uh, in 2018, uh, many historians put together this book called Historians on Hamilton. So it's a a huge collection of different essays that really examine it. But again, that's a very particular group of people. These are people who they specialize in this. And then in 2020, 
uh, Hamilton was released on Disney Plus. So then we had a whole bunch of new different socioeconomic classes who were introduced to the play. So the responses throughout these three different kind of, um, you know, points or time time frame here is is very different. And to me, looking at that, that's that's very interesting as a historian is how these controversies have continued to kind of build on top of each other because of the ways that it was introduced. And even myself, the way um, in that book, Historians on Hamilton, many of the historians who, who wrote about it saw it when it was on Broadway. I never saw it when it was on Broadway. So even just the type of response that I had is very different from the ones that they had. <laughs> and mm. that's something that I think it's important to to note, not only for current historians or current students of history, but definitely for the future. So that it kind of seems like... Yeah. Uh, well, it kind of it, so it kind of just in how you described it, it's something that I haven't really thought about it. Where so from, in the beginning, in particular about this play, you had it to where first it was introduced and mostly just people, um, you know, most wealthy wealthy people who who only lived in New York. Does it was just in Broadway. If I'm not mistaken, it was just in Broadway. It didn't tour, right? It hasn't toured anywhere. It just I or it has it. I don't think so. I'm actually so, not 100 percent sure about that. That's a great question. Well, <laughs> either way, even if it toured, it still would have been a lot of money. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So at one at one point you had it to where it was more so just um well people who won people who like musicals and on top of that that are wealthy so that is a very that's a small segment of people and so you have it introduced that way at first and then you expand it just a tad bit more by having this book that is now I, I would guess um most historians like yourself are the ones that are seeking this book because I never heard of the book so <laughs> yeah. so from that so it, it expanded a little bit but not so much, I guess you could say it expanded in academia, mm-hmm. um, as, as far as that. And now with it being on Disney plus in 2020, it has expanded. I would say probably to, um, to the largest degree where it's being on Disney plus to where, you know, if people who have a Disney plus subscription, which is a whole lot cheaper than one ticket to see Hamilton <laughs> so, uh, or, or, or college to, you know, tuitions. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so now people are able to see it. You know, a lot more people are able to see it on Disney Plus. So I would guess, well, maybe not since it's on Disney Plus, but I was thinking maybe it gets to the next point where um, where it's on like ABC or something like that, and then everyone, you know, a whole lot more people can see it. So um, yeah. then again, then again, I doubt that because Disney Plus want that you know exclusivity of having it on that <laughs> having it on that app. So so yeah, so yeah, oh, as you were saying. Oh, yeah. No, and I was just going to add as well that it, it, especially when it was introduced on Disney Plus, it was during the COVID-19, you know, shutdown. <laughs> so it yeah. was during a It very, had a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. You, people were really, you know, we were in quarantine. We didn't have, <laughs> we were in a shutdown. And so yep. many of us, you know, we had a lot of time to kill and kind of, we really could analyze this. And, um, and it was also that, not only during because of the pandemic, but because of just how polarized the political stage was at that particular time. So it was a whole new response to it, especially as well, too. Um, I want to add that it, when it first came out, you know, the um, the first lady, you know, she she had a lot of positive things to say about the play, too. So there was in regards to its political context and the response politically, it was received very 
positively. You know, it's, it prompted a lot of diversity, new conversations. Um, but then when it was reintroduced on a new platform in a very different context, it had a very negative response. So these are all things I think overall the main issue uh, or thing to note, I wouldn't say it's an issue, but just something to really keep in mind whenever talking about the play is the importance of context. So, you know, are we talking about when it was, how it was received uh, in 2016 or how it was received in 2020 and what was going on in the world? And that's what historians do. So I do think you've made a good point though about, especially with the book, it's a very, uh, a very specific kind of approach to it. It's the historical, very objective. We rely on sources. We're going back, providing evidence. And then the response in 2020, it was a lot of, it was a much more emotionally charged response to the play. And, and I, I understand, I will say though, again, kind of how I mentioned that I didn't see it on Broadway. And personally, I'm not a huge fan of musicals. There's a few that I like, <laughs> but if it's a historical one, I'm naturally going to be a little bit more critical of it. Now that's yeah, actually that's um that that's how kind of how I feel because I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I do like history. So, yeah. <laughs> so so that I, look, I'm gonna be, so to be completely honest, it's probably the mu- the musical I have watched the most oh, um, over yeah. and over again. Only because of that, the historical <laughs> part of it and the and the political part of it in it too, because you know they talk about politics, which is kind of funny. That's one part in the, in the play where Thomas Jefferson literally says, "Can we get back to politics?" <laughs> in the middle of the play. So, um, but um, that just those two aspects really makes me interested in watching it, and also on the fact that we were going to do this interview, so. And just keep yeah. watching it over and over again too. But yeah, I'm yeah, I don't watch a lot of musicals. I mean as far as so as far as musicals go and like if I was going to critique it as, as a musical, I'm like, oh, it's great. Well, you know what? This is something that totally I just thought about right now. Um as far as musicals go, there's one thing in in particular that just kind of makes me laugh, but I understand why, is the fact that um Lynn Miguel M- M- Miranda as Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Um, I know it's his play. I know it's his play. I know he wrote it and everything. But of all the people in on the cast, it's just like he kind of stands out because he doesn't really sing well. <laughs> and, oh, you don't think he sings well? <laughs> not really. Like, like he doesn't really sing well. Um, and it to me, I mean, he just kind of is in a, a little bit of monotone. He kind of more so is talking than oh. more so than singing. <laughs> But, but then again, I saw. But I know he wrote it. It's his play, so why would he not be in it? So um, I, I just every time I watch it, it's like he's the only he's the only one that stands out. Like everyone else, like Leslie Odom Jr., um, um, Philip Sue, all, all of them are great. It just, but him in particular, he don't sound that great. It's now I'm pretty sure like he's done all these other movies and everything. So I mean it's it's not a really a criticism of, of his writing. It's more so a criticism of his actual singing. And um, I feel like I actually would want to watch it now because I know he's not doing it now. Um, a matter of fact, I think most of them are not doing it now. So I just wonder how he's how whoever's playing Alexander Hamilton now. Well, I don't even know. They don't know if they're even doing it now during COVID. But whoever was doing it when he walked away from it. I wonder how that person actually sounds, because 
like I would think all the songs would sound a bit different. I'm, um, from how how he how he sound compared to someone else. Anyway, that was just some. You know, I guess in trying to talk about the musical in particular, but but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, yeah. watching musicals, I don't watch many musicals, but the fact that the historical element of it just draw me in and wanting to watch it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a singer, so I I don't have any roof to talk. I don't I I, I don't know, but I definitely I'm not a singer now. I'm not a singer either, but it is obvious. <laughs> it is pretty obvious. I mean, if you go back and just go back and watch it one time and just listen to him compared to everyone else, it's just like. And I don't, I don't, I don't really get, he's not really singing in this. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on this, but I'll, I'll compare it. I'll compare it like this. Now, um, this, you know, whether you know, know who this is or whoever, he, he, he reminds me of Kurt Franklin. <laughs> that as far as someone who has written all the songs, he put all this together and then when he tried to get out and actually sing, he doesn't sound as good as everyone else as the rest of his choir and all that. I'm just putting it out there for if you know, you know. <laughs> so. I, I understand your point of view. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Morgan Zegers, the founder and CEO of Young Americans Against Socialism. We are a nonprofit organization working to preserve a free, fair, and prosperous America for generations to come, all by equipping our generation with the truth about socialism. If you are interested in watching our educational videos, donating to the cause, joining the Ask Coalition, or becoming a contributor, you can do all of these things at fightsocialism.org. We hope you'll join us in this crucial fight for the future of our great country. Thanks. I hope you didn't lose your, your train of thought. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's okay. For once, I actually remembered it. If you ask my <laughs> students, I'm usually really bad about that, and they'll have to you know, kind of get me back on track. But I was just going to mention, from what I do know about the research that he conducted when he was writing the play, I think the reason I, I can play devil's advocate here, <laughs> if I, because there are many gaps in the historical narrative, because the reality is historians or any all historical research, we have to depend on the primary sources. So I think where he was coming from, from the creative aspect, is when he was doing his research, because I do think he actually went to several archives to, to look into this and get a better sense of who Hamilton actually was. So from uh, my guess is, as a creative writer, he was probably looking at those gaps in the historical narrative as this is a chance where I can interject my voice or, you know, give a new spin or introduce some more contemporary ideas. And I, I get that. And I, I mean, if I was in his shoes, I would, okay, you know, I, I totally understand. That would be, I would see those kind of um, gaps as a chance to be more creative, but I'm not, uh, that's not my thing. I am a historian, so, so I am yeah. a little particular about it, but I can understand why he would have done it. And I do think that there are positives to that approach and that there are, are positive things we can take away from the play. My only hesitation and concern is just how easy it is for people to assume that this is what actually happened. And it's a very fine fine line. So I will say that I, I do believe he actually did conduct quite a bit of research and I have a lot of respect for him for that. And by no means, I mean, I wouldn't, this, this is not what, I don't write plays. This, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could have done um, what he did and, and, and performed in it as well. But I, I will say though, I wish, 
he probably I wish he would have consulted more historians when he was writing it. I, I do think he went to different archives, but I don't know how many historians he actually talked to because um, like a good example is the movie Lincoln by uh, Spielberg. I know that they they conducted a lot of research and actually hired real historians to um, help him create the sets to make sure that the White House looked the way that it did when Lincoln was in there. So as a, as a history professor, I appreciate that when you go and talk to actual historians to help you out. But, but you know, it's a Broadway play and it's, it's an amazing one uh, for, for what it is, but is it something that we can rely on for 100% historical accuracy? No. <laughs> well, but the, the source conversation going. So, well, well I, um, I think the, the, the I guess, main source of the play came from a book by Rob Shirt. I forgot his name, but like there was the Rob Shirt now. I think I'm probably, I'm probably butchering the name, but like that's the, but it, I, I guess the, um, the source of. Want to hear some inside scoop? If your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are, you gotta check out Kohl's. I got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks, Jansport backpacks for 25% off, and 30% off Levi's jeans for me. I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash. So, yeah, not sure who's more excited right now, me or the girls. Select styles. 15% off friends August 15th. Levi's coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store Kohl's account for details. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. I guess for the screenplay, for the for this play was from that particular book mm. where it didn't seem like um, there was a lot outside of that where he just took everything from the book to to you know put the play together. Um at least that's from the the main source. At least that's where it seemed like that's where it came from. But uh, I know one thing. Well, I know one thing you mentioned too is um, I guess in the sense of um, from a political from I guess political political point of view in the sense, um, even even though you had like I say you mentioned about the first lady, but then you it did have a little bit of a controversy when uh, Vice President uh, Mike Pence. Uh, went to the play and then um, everyone in the cast, I guess, felt <laughs> felt the need to have to make a statement while he was there and at the post just doing the play as usual. <laughs> but but um, and so you had that happen. And also in the play there, um, well, it's, it's throughout, but there are also other little political jabs in it. <laughs> um, there's yeah. two in particular. There's a 
there's a scene where um where the Skylo sisters are are singing and then in the middle of it they start talking about the Declaration of Independence and then um then one of the one of them mentioned that well I would um uh, I would hope to meet Thomas Jefferson and and having to add women you know to the sequel well, you know as far as you know all men are created equal and she was saying like well she, we should add women to it as as if that's what that meant because <laughs> um yeah so uh and and then you have that and then you also had another one where you had um uh hamilton and lafayette where in the middle they were i guess getting ready to go to war and then like in the middle of that they were just saying about them about them both being immigrants and they're like well immigrants get the job done kind of like a wink and a nod to like you know <laughs> like, uh immigration and all of that that was going on and so um it was funny because this play the one that was that is on Disney Plus was filmed in June of 2016. Mm. So this was before Pence went. Okay. <laughs> if I'm if I'm not if because I forget when Pence went, but um I think it it wasn't it wasn't because that that would have been like just a couple of months in office. So I don't think that was he hasn't been there at that at that time yet. So yeah, so there was all little political stuff in there like that, little little jabs, and also other things as well that I maybe ha- haven't even thought of that I, I'm I'm pretty sure in there. So yeah. now one thing. Oh, good. No, I, I apologize. I cut you off. What were you gonna no, say? No. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. I I was um yeah. Finish your thought. Yeah, I didn't know as much about the Mike Pence event, um, and I mm-hmm. don't think that that perhaps was the best move by the cast. But the reality is, is that they, they do have every right to express that they're, you know, they're, that's one of the beautiful things about America is that they can use their voice and they are using their voice. But I don't know if that, I I don't think that was the most professional move. (laughs) So I'm a little sad to hear about that. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure they, they, they were, you know, they were applauded by everyone that they, (laughs) that they respect, (laughs) put it that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't think that was a good move personally, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. A, a good number of people will say that, but they, but like I said, I'm guessing the, to the people they actually cared to get, get um applause from, that's who they got it from. Mm-hmm. Everyone else that probably that had a problem with they is people that they don't really um respect or care for just to say. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> Speaking of people who were, who didn't get a lot of respect, um, uh, in the in this play, well, on the second half of the play especially, um, John Adams <laughs> gets ah. um, he gets portrayed <laughs> in a, in a way where um, I feel like either either the whole play just took the attitude of Hamilton and how he felt about John Adams. Or everyone just really just oh people just really didn't like John Adams. So I just want to ask you, was John Adams as bad as they as they portrayed him in uh, in the play? Or and also well and also it uh, I guess the um, did John Adams and Alexander Hamilton really didn't like each other like like it was portrayed? 
Well, I mean, long story short, the founding, many of the founding fathers were, they debated each other a lot. So there definitely was tension between them. But does the play, I mean, was John Adams really as bad as the play made him out to be? I would say no. He contributed a lot to, you know, to our foundation and, and continued throughout the the remainder of his life way past the revolution. So was there tension between them? Yes, there was, because they had very different perspectives on the balance of power within our government. And they were, you know, they were both there. They lived through it when we were putting together uh, our founding documents. And, and um, they both just had a very particular personality. They weren't exactly everyone's cup of tea. We could put it that way. They were very passionate, headstrong, but both very intelligent. So, and that, that actually is, I think that's something that maybe should have been highlighted in a more positive light was that the fact that there was so many intense debates going on, that was a good thing that, that helped the foundation of our country. So, um, it's important to remember that this is, a very modern perspective on what people today would like Hamilton to have been. But the reality is, is that the play really didn't portray the true Hamilton. That's what it comes down to. And I think that's also what's at the roots of so many conversations amongst historians. Um, like they portray him out to be someone who is very, progressive and, 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 you know, forward thinking. And he was, he was very forward thinking, definitely ahead of his time, but he uh, wasn't really as in touch with um, and had some very controversial views on immigration, which is surprising. He wasn't very publicly anti-slavery as the play made him out to be. Mm. He had very particular opinions about gender. Um, and, and I think also too, going back to John Adams, this also brings up the issue of, uh, more nationalism ideas and, and patriotism, you know, kind of that fine line of because basically the founding, the the revolutionary era in American history, we've romanticized that a lot. And that's also what the play does, too. It romanticizes this moment in American history. But the reality is, is that it was messy. It's, it was a very you know, kind of brutal uh, time throughout our history. I mean, there was a war in there, so. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very, it was a very savage, you know, kind of, uh, it was a fight. And that's the thing, too, that I wish they would have highlighted more is that it, it was messy, it was not perfect, but our founding fathers and mothers were willing to die for this. And that's a testimony in itself, too. They were willing to die for what they were creating. And I and I think maybe they highlighted that a little bit, much, you know, a, a good job. But that also is kind of at the root of why there was such a tense relationship between not only uh, Hamilton and Adams, but other founding fathers, because you got to be able to put yourself in that mindset. You know, if I'm willing to die for something, I'm going to advocate for this with everything I have, you know, every fiber of my being and be very passionate about it. So, yeah, there, it was tense. Uh, but was John Adams a bad person? I guess that comes down to perspective. I would say no. Hamilton was not a bad person. Uh, but they the play didn't really portray either of them in, in regards to what we really know based off of the evidence that we have. So there's always a, a, a degree of speculation. But that's also what? where we have to be very careful to not get carried away with that and to not interject so our... Oh, so, well, I just, so I, would, I just want to ask, um, did you see the HBO series on John Adams? I did. 
Yes, I do. Is, like it, that is, one. is is that one more? Is that closer to being accurate is in that series as opposed to how he's portrayed? You don't see him at all in Hamilton. I just, but he's just, he's mentioned here and there and just is not in a very favorable light in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. I would say that the HBO uh, series about John Adams was definitely more accurate. And I think the reason is, is because one of the collection of material that we have from John Adams is one of the most extensive. So he's definitely one of the founding fathers we know the most about just because of how many uh, letters we have collected from him. And the, the documents that we have from Hamilton, more of them are in a public setting, not so much in a private. So we have more private documents from from Adams. And I think that's why we have a little bit better sense of his personality. Um, so what we're kind of feeding off of in regards to Hamilton was a lot of the things that he published. We have a lot of public perceptions of him and kind of the public response, not as many as John Adams in regards to those private documents. So I think that also prompts a lot of people to lead with emotion, not logic when they're examining Hamilton. Mm. Yeah, so I, yeah, kind of like what I mentioned in the beginning is that um, just kind of this, you know, romanticizing of Hamilton in particular, and like it's not surprising in particular for this for this play, but also in the in the fact that um, as far as for the things that he stood for, so like when I mentioned, even though I would probably say he was for of all the founding fathers, he was for more government than the rest of them. That being said, even I would probably be probably be right in saying if he saw where the size of government is now, he would, <laughs> he yeah. wouldn't be as, you know, as, you know, to see where it led to probably would maybe think about, you know, have a second thought about, you know, giving this much control to, to the government at this point. But, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> Another person, obviously, that is very instrumental to this um, play is Aaron Burr, because obviously he's the one who shot him. So. Um, now, in the play, throughout, from the beginning to the end, uh, Aaron Burr is portrayed um, not not so much a, a villain, really, throughout the play. He just he's, he's portrayed as someone that is just um, building resentment to the point to where he wants to kill him. <laughs> and so where things are happening throughout the play, just um, at every point, it seems like Hamilton is in his way. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he has a, has a song in there where he talk about, you know, in, you know, want to be in the room where it happens and um, and and wait for it. And um, and it just it, it also makes him look like one that he has. Um, I mean, even from from Hamilton in the play that he has. Um, uh, he really has no principles and more of an opportunist and mm -hmm. just someone that just looking to try to, you know, say as little as possible just to get ahead and not really take any risk. Now, all of that, how he's portrayed, is that anywhere true how he, of uh, true about Aaron Burr? I would definitely say out of everyone in the play, that relationship was probably the most well portrayed. Uh, I, I would definitely say that that is much more close to the actual relationship and just how it progressed and got much more tense. And the thing that uh, 
they didn't really highlight in the play too much, though, was in regards to the duel, just kind of the culture of dueling at that time. And it was so much more. Before, about, before you get into in dueling, I want to put this in here right quick, because okay. um, <laughs> just so I can just so I can mention this, because in the play, they, you know, they, they go down, I guess, like a list of everything that happens in a duel. It's called like the Ten Duel Commandments. Which is a which is a play on Notorious B.I.G.'s Ten Crack Commandments on one of his albums. <laughs> so every time I heard it, because it was like the Ten Dual Commandments, like that is a play on Biggie's Ten Crack Commandments, and they're using it for this in this play. Oh, <laughs> and, also, okay, and so they use that. that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not telling you. Uh, yeah, I'm not recommending anybody to go listen to it. But I'm just saying that's where. It, that is kind of where it came from. I'm pretty sure that's where it came from because they, because they, um, it is, um, it, it's sung kind of like how the song, like one, two, three, four. That's how it's sung in on, on Biggie's song as well. So, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that in case I never got a chance to mention it since you mentioned about dueling and also <laughs> have another thing about the duelings, but go ahead. Yeah. No, that was really interesting. I did not know that. So I learned something that was really nice. Um, <laughs> Um, but what I was going to say is there, there really, there have been so many papers and articles, you know, lots of research conducted on the culture of dueling. So I don't think that they really portrayed the, uh, how much of it was about prestige and about protecting your honor. It really was more so about honor within our culture, more so than it was about personal grievances. It was about the fact that you were willing to die for something and what were you willing to die for? So I wish they would have focused a little bit more on that. Um, but again, that's just me being a, a nitpicky historian. So <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, when people talk about um, like the political climate right right now, everything is just so toxic, everything's so horrible. And every time someone mentioned that, I always go back even be so before this whole play, you know, I've always known about, you know, Aaron Burr, shooting Alexander Hamilton. And so every time when I would hear about that, you know, ever since I've been involved, I was like, you do remember, you know, Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton in a duel. And also not only just that, but duels in general were pretty common. It's, well, especially compared to now, we don't have duels. So, I mean, so people had duels all, not I say all the time, but like just like in that song, even when you talk about the duels, um, like like they mentioned in that in that ten dual commandments that most of them didn't get to the point where they had a duel. Uh, it was resolved before they before they got to the point where they were you know <laughs> drawing ten paces and turning around. Um, but but yeah, so whenever whenever we talk about political climate, just think about it. we're not do we're not dueling, so we can at least <laughs> and the rest of that we're not doing that. Well, not doing it yet. I mean, we ain't bringing it back yet, but we're not doing it right now. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say for anyone who's interested to learn more about that, actually, there's a phenomenal historian, Dr. Freeman at Harvard University. Um, her classes are amazing, but you can also look up a lot of her work. And she has published quite a bit about Hamilton as well. She even uh, contributes a um, an essay to the book that I was referencing earlier, Historians on Hamilton. So, But she has... Uh, done many and and also lots of podcast interviews too, just about the culture of dueling during that time. So she's an excellent resource for anyone who, if there's you know history students or other people who are just curious about it, that's she's a she's a good one to look into her research. 
This is Lacey Williams, the founder and president of Expressions Magazine, letting you know that you can order our quarterly magazine and support female conservatives by visiting express-conservatism.com or you can follow us on social media on Instagram with the username of expressions underscore conserve mag or on Twitter with the handle of at express underscore conserve. Get your copy today. All right. So, so we're back. And so we, so we finished talking about duels now. So there's one <laughs> other part in, um, so I know one, um, there's a song that I mentioned before with Aaron Burr, we talk about uh, in the room where it happens. And in that particular song is talking about, where um, Hamilton, Madison, and Jefferson are basically it's the compromise of 1790. Uh, if I'm not, yeah, 1790. So where um, Hamilton get control of uh, the banks and all of that, and then the capital is moved to uh, Washington D.C. So in the song it says no one else was in the room where it happens, where it happens, and you know in the song they're just talking about. Um, uh, Thomas Jefferson's claims, not so much. They're not not. So the rest of the play, they're not saying so-and-so claims. They're just kind of going with it like this is like it's fact. But when they talk about this part, this particular thing, they they make sure to say, well, Thomas claims this is what happened. So anyway, from that long, long intro about it, um, were, were there anyone else in the room? And, and is there much information about the Compromise of 1790? You know, that, that I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that is definitely one of the most, um, like, biggest sources of tension amongst historians is that particular moment. And that in, in the book, Historians on Hamilton, there's a whole essay devoted just to that one song because it completely takes away the fact that slaves would have been in the room. So it takes away their agency within this moment in American history. So that there's a lot, a lot of discussion about it. So we there. To say that no one else was in the room, it's very catchy and <laughs> it's good from that creative perspective, but it's not accurate. There what there were other people in there. It dismisses the, hum, the the other humans, even though they exactly. were slaves, but they were other people that was there, so it's kind of dismissed that they that they were in the room. Um, but but in saying that, who did anyone um, I guess publish anything about what happened? Um, there are quite a few, uh, you know, sources that come out and it's, I, I believe it's the, I don't remember the exact title, but it's the fourth essay or four, I think it's the fourth or fifth essay within that book. Um, actually don't quote me on that, but I do know it's in there and they do give you quite a bit of sources that allude to why that wasn't, you know, to give you some evidence as to why that's not true. There were sources that came out and, but, but that definitely is one of the biggest sources of controversy amongst historians is we we don't like that part you know to put it simply there's a consensus amongst historians that that is not true yes. that there were people in, in in the room and there are there are accounts about what happened mm-hmm. okay yeah <laughs> okay well i guess i mean is that i'm guessing that's kind of rare right <laughs> to get that to, oh, for yeah. everyone to agree on that <laughs> That, you know, that's funny. That actually is kind of a rarity amongst <laughs> historians because we we like, I guess, to, it pretty much is arguing. We like to say it's debating, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we do always have to supply evidence to back up our claims. But but we do like to get into quite a few 
arguments. I mean, that's why lawyers usually have a bachelor's or a master's in history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we do we do agree on that. And actually, I mean, I I would say that for the most part, many historians actually like the play. Um, We don't think it's accurate because we know it's not accurate, (laughs) but but we like that it's is introducing the use of our country to the colonial era. And many teachers, myself included, like to use the play um, now, especially that it's more accessible as a teaching tool, you know, to help kind of get these discussions going. And and I, I usually I've done assignments where I've had my own students try to figure out, you know, what is accurate and what was not. And so then then that allows us to also explore how to find things in government uh, archives, professional archives, where do we go? Where are those primary sources? So it, it can be used in a very positive sense for teaching, but it is not accurate. <laughs> not 100% <laughs> accurate. <laughs> so. Well, uh, well, so um, I know in in the sense of that particular song and also in saying, you know, about the play in particular, I guess, I guess it would be my last question, actually, um, unless I think of something off the top of my head in, in the next couple of minutes. But as a historian, just watching a play or a movie or anything like that, I'm pretty sure it's kind of like nerve-wracking in a sense. I mean, we've been talking about Hamilton, but just watching any sort of historical, you know, movie, and I'm guessing from your point of view, it's probably like, no, no, that didn't happen. No, that, no, it didn't go that way. I mean, it's kind of, I guess it'd be kind of like someone that is like a gun enthusiast who like, you know, know everything about guns. And then when they watch a movie or watch Jason Bourne or something like that, they're like, they ain't, no, he didn't, there's too many bullets. That's not enough. (laughs) Or something like that. So yeah, I'm I'm guessing that's kind of the same for you in watching any, any of these like, you know, movies or plays. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I, I usually respond that way, you know, in a very <laughs> kind of nervous uh, and critical way to anything that is. Want to hear some inside scoop? If your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are, you got to check out Kohl's. I got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks, Jansport backpacks for 25% off, and 30% off Levi's jeans for me. I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash. So, yeah, not sure who's more excited right now, me or the girls. Select styles. 15% off friends August 15th. Levi's coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store calls account for details. You know, a historical um, film or uh, drama, you know, things like that. But you actually, uh, when I first watched it, I, I believe that you saw my Instagram story when I, I was first mm-hmm. reacting to it and I wasn't, I wasn't happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, wasn't, I was like, this is not, this is not accurate. So, but I had to um, give myself some time, you know, to <laughs> watch it all, all the way through, kind of think about it. And then I was like, you know what, this actually can be really positive if we talk, because it is, you know, prompting those discussions. And I, and I'm always a big fan of that, but, but usually my initial reaction is one of, you know, I'm pretty anxious <laughs> when I see these things go out. I'm disappointed every time. Like, yeah. You know what? Here, so, I mean, I don't know how many of these movies you watch. So is there a, what is the most accurate? I know this is like just coming out of nowhere. What is the most accurate movie or TV series that you've seen? 
My personal favorite, I think the most accurate would be the Lincoln, you know, Lincoln movie that okay. I mentioned earlier. I, I'm a big fan of that one, especially because of um, how it clarifies the difference between the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment. Many people think those are the same thing and they're not. So for that alone, I love the film, but I also love that they reached out to people who specialize in Civil War history. (laughs) Um, So I think collectively they did one of the best jobs that I've ever seen in a film, a historical film. Uh, So that that would probably be my top pick. And I'm I I think that's high praise. I'm usually pretty, pretty uh, critical. Yeah, I, yeah, I really enjoy Lincoln. Um, I mean, also, you know, um, uh, Daniel Day Lewis is, you know, is a great actor and playing, um, playing Lincoln. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty good. I really did like it. Uh, matter yeah. of fact, it's, um, I haven't seen it in a while. I probably want to go back and watch that. And on top of that, also the John Adams one, because I remember watching it when it first came out on HBO and I really enjoyed that too. So, um, I will say about the John Adams one, one of my favorite uh, parts about that whole series was um, how they portrayed Abigail Adams. They did a, mm. I think they did a very good job bringing her story to life too, because she gets overlooked quite a bit. And she, I mean, they, I loved that they talked about one of her most famous letters where she tells her, tells John Adams to remember the ladies, uh, especially for women's history. That I think that's a big thing. And although even even then it wasn't 100% accurate, it still gets people talking about that and brings awareness to it. So I will say I think that that series did a very good job in how they talked about Abigail. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I forget who, I think it was um, Rosamund Pike who played, and I, which I, I like her as an actress. If I'm not mistaken, that's who played. Oh, maybe it was Laura Lenny. I, I forget. <laughs> um, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I really like, uh, Abigail in those, in the, in their series as well. And also, in, so in Hamilton, uh, one of my favorite characters is Eliza. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it just kind of what I was mentioning in the beginning as far as, you know, the whole, when she mentioned about let future historians wonder how she felt. And, um, it just, you know, when, um, when she talked about those, about those letters that, that Hamilton wrote to her and then she said she was going to burn them and, and, and all of that. And so, I know, um, I, I mean, as far as what happened to those letters, I who knows, but, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, and what was in those letters, but then she came back, um, later on after, you know, the indiscretion with, um, with what happened with, um, um, with Miss Reynolds and all of that. And so, and, you know, if she, well, from in the place she says she lives another 50 years, and so she does all these, um, all these things, um, as far as the orphanage and then, um, um, as far as like, you know, I guess, um, I don't know, I guess she, she was translating, <laughs> um, a lot of his writings or just trying to put it in book form. I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't understand exactly what she meant by as far as all her, you know, the letters, I guess everything that he wrote, she tried to publish, I guess. I, I, I don't know. Matter of fact, what did she do? <laughs> <laughs> She was very fundamental in helping to uh, preserve and kind of set up Hamilton's legacy. She really mm. did a good job in making sure that a lot of his works were published, um, you know, and that they got the recognition that they were preserved properly. So she was very fundamental in that. Um, she and okay. she was another. She was not only just in Hamilton's per, uh, image and legacy, but the families as well. She she did a phenomenal job with that. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um I guess uh was there any anything more to Angelica Scholar and and and, and Hamilton as opposed to what was in the play? Yeah, you know, I actually am curious to know more about this as well, because when I watched it, I was like, huh, (laughs) I I had heard about it a little bit, but that was um, something that I wanted to look into a little bit more. And I will say, though, that Dr. Freeman also did a really good interview on that. She talks more about more about it. This is the colonial era is is her specialty for sure. There are other historians who specialize more so just in colonial history, but That's something I didn't know as much about in my foundational training. So I'm actually curious to, to look into that a little bit more as well. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, well, that's, that's all the questions I have, but uh, well about Hamilton, but I, I I would be remiss to not give you the opportunity to talk about the makeup in that on the show. I mean, come on, you're the makeup historian, so I I have to give you the opportunity if you want if you want to talk about the makeup that was in the play. I don't have much else to say other than give you the floor. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think it's that's thank you for that opportunity. I love whenever I get to talk about cosmetic history. Um, the the makeup that is within the play is not 100% historical accurate, but that's for very understandable reasons because it was on Broadway. So there's mm-hmm. stage makeup. <laughs> so in that sense, um, I you know if, I'm sure if you saw them up close, it would be very heavy. And that the whole point of that is so that way everyone in the stage can see you know the facial features. And mm-hmm. on film though, I think it actually read pretty well for what makeup would have been like at that moment, which for for the ladies was very, very um, more plain and, and demure for that kind of socioeconomic status to not basically, you know, really bold colors on the lips or, or accentuating certain features. That wasn't really popular during that time. Also, makeup uh, was very different during them, like it from what it is today. We have a lot of synthetic materials in our makeup now, but during the colonial era, makeup was made out of strictly organic material. So that was another reason why it was really kind of more plain in, in comparison to today's standards because and makeup wasn't going to last very long. Yeah. And if you did have um, a particular, you know, a very prominent or uh, like kind of rouge on the lips or on the cheeks, that was a status of you're doing pretty well within society <laughs> if you can afford that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're actually, you know, and and it's also important to keep in mind too that uh, makeup within the the colonies was very different in comparison to somewhere like uh, France, where it was much more so uh, being influenced by people like Marie Antoinette. You know, more kind of. Wait, the very so are we talking like pop? Are we talking like powdered wigs? Are you talking about like I mean, as far as like the the some of the pictures where like their faces like literally white, <laughs> as far yeah. as stuff like that. There, so there was yeah, there was quite a bit of influence from different cosmetic trends going on throughout France, but the uh, you know Americans were really trying to establish their own identity as well. So a lot of that came through in fashion and makeup and beauty standards. So there's elements of what was going on throughout different European nations, but it is kind of fascinating. You can see how Americans are trying to figure out their own identity, just even with the way that they dress. And for the gentlemen, too, um, there were gentlemen who wore cosmetics. And, and uh, But I think with 
the the gentlemen, we can see it a little bit more with their fashion. And that's also a good, you know, certain trends that were popular throughout European nations were um, kind of worn by colonists who were much more on, you know, kind of the loyalist side who still wanted that European heritage. And then there were more radical uh, patriots who wanted to establish a, a completely new identity. And that that came through in fashion as well. So there's. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that question. I've never been asked that question. <laughs> what? <laughs> what, what about the makeup? <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. I mean, that's kind of my thing. So. Well, yeah, that's the reason why I wanted to ask you because I'm like, I mean, I have to ask you about it. <laughs> I mean, and like you said, I mean, um, in the play, obviously, it's not going to be how it was back then because, I mean, the priority is make sure everyone is, you know, yeah, at, you know, at the play can see it. Yeah. So it's not going to be like so. If, like, if they made a movie about it, it probably would be more accurate. Um, Definitely. So. Yeah. yeah, I think it would. And and even then, too, that goes back to the Lincoln film, you know, that a uh -huh. totally different era. We're talking Civil War here, not revolutionary era. But but still, that was a movie, you know, not a Broadway yeah. play. And they did a, a very good job portraying what, cos you know, the cosmetic trends of that time would have really been, which was not a lot because we were going through a civil war and the priority was keeping the union together, not yeah. cosmetics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so if people want to know more about what you're doing, a matter of fact, so, you know, what you have coming up and if people want to, you know, get in contact with you on social media, where would they go? Yeah. Um, well, on social media, my username is, um, at the makeup historian that, and pretty much from Instagram, you can find everything else. You kind of start there and <laughs> I am in the process of redoing my website. So I'm excited for that to be done in a few months. And that way people can reach out if they have, you know, particular questions like research questions. I try to be very, um, a lot more accessible to the public. That's one of my main criticisms of my field is I, I feel like historians are not always easy to contact for with these types of questions. Um, so if that's if someone's looking to reach out on social media, I would start with Instagram. But I also have my own podcast as well, which is also called The Makeup Historian. And we did take a little bit of a, you know, temporary pause because of things going on with COVID. And I had to focus on on my students on teaching. No, that's my priority. <laughs> so although I love my podcast, I kind of had to put it on the side for for a moment. But I am, um, again, within a few months, we have some new interviews coming out, and I'm really excited to share them. So, and they're kind of okay. all across the board. Yeah, nice. lots of different topics. <laughs> and uh, as, um, I think last time we had you on, you talked about a museum. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, I did. I founded the Museum of Cosmetic History uh, about a little over a year ago, and COVID kind of messed that up, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still, you know, we're still continuing on, but we just had to kind of press pause on that as well because of you know, health concerns and couldn't really go to the next step, where, which is where we need to hire people. We couldn't, because of all the restrictions, can't really uh, continue on too much in, in that, but it we are still going to continue. So that's important. So right now we're really working on the website and uh, establishing a digital database so that, and kind of, you know, building the collection as well. So it is still going on.
that's if, if people want to know more about that, we do have a separate Instagram account for them and a separate website. Um, it's at Cosmetic History, and and the website link is right there on our Instagram profile. So we will be posting quite a bit more, and I do have a few episodes coming up on the makeup historian that give people some you know kind of background as to where we're at in the the progression of the project. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, um, I guess. Just another question since you mentioned about COVID and, you know, the pandemic in general. Just, um, I mean, how's it been the past year just teaching on the, in these conditions? (laughs) It was really tough, actually. And the first interview that I did, uh, for your podcast was right in the beginning when we had to transition Mm. over in. And although I really liked that interview, I personally, I can hear in my voice just how, uh, overwhelmed I was at that moment in time. <laughs> I hope no one else catches on to that, but they might now. But <laughs> but generally speaking, in the beginning, it was really tough, and, and it still is to a degree, but I think I'm finally getting to the point where uh, I'm, I'm truly kind of adapting and leveling up because I have to for the sake of my students, and, and I take that very seriously that they get the class that they paid for. But, you know, I think that means a lot. So it is a challenge, but I think I've actually learned a lot of new skills that will help me throughout my career. And it's kind of interesting and, and you know, to watch the, the changes and try to figure out the direction of our educational system. So it is a challenge, but I'm still here. You know, we're still going. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people have to like, you know, were forced to learn about things like like so we're using Skype or you know Zoom, uh, go to meeting, you know, all all of these um, um, all these platforms to do you know virtual classrooms or virtual meetings and all that. Like they were, even though th- this stuff has been available for years, but most people have been kind of just not wanting to use it until they were forced to. And now that they're now they actually have learned how to use this. It probably it I'm pretty sure it will definitely help even if we go back to normal now that you know how to use a lot of these things you could probably be a lot more productive in in a couple of areas just because you know how to work zoom now as opposed to just like i gotta get this person in person meeting no no i don't have to i can let's do a zoom meeting right quick i mean because you know what to do and we can you know do that so yeah i I mean that's kind of a silver lining when it comes to covid i i will say that it kind of forced people to kind of really um, um, to broaden their horizons on a lot of these things. And when it comes to just just like, you know, Uber Eats and DoorDash and all of that, just a lot of things where people were just reluctant to use any of these uh, platforms, which probably would make things easier, but they just didn't want to do it out of habit. Now they was forced to do it for pretty much for the past year. And then now they realize it wasn't, you know, yeah, this, yeah. I could I should have been using this before, <laughs> you know, a lot of things, not just this, but a whole lot of things. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a little silver lining out of it. Definitely. I think I think, you know, evolution and kind of progressing as a society is always difficult. But there's definitely positives that we can take away from this. And especially for historians, it forced us to move into the 21st century. We were a little hesitant, kind of dragging our heels a little mm-hmm. bit. But. We're there now. <laughs> you know, things are things are all digitized, and and it, and it really did help. You know, help our field 
get better at digitization and making our fields more accessible, helping people learn about history, the marketable skills from it. Um, we're able to do a lot more uh, webinars, reach more people because of the technology. So, yeah, there's lots of yeah. positives that we can actually take away from this. Yeah. So, Sarah, thank you so much for, for coming on for the second time. Yeah. And thank you. No, I appreciate <laughs> I, I appreciate you you being you being on here for this uh you know video interview and um you know like I said well we'll see what the future holds for for the podcast and you know if we are going forward later on we we, de- we would definitely want to have you back on for future episodes if we have those. Yeah, of course. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yep, and thanks to Sarah for joining us. And also, so here we are. I know we're over, well over an hour, going in 30, 30 minutes. So let's just, um, before we go, um, you know, as always, we want to make sure that we, um, shout out these locations. And so let's do this as, as fast as possible. <laughs> All right. So, um, Right now we have, hmm, what do we have? So, start with the cities. We got a couple of cities in Germany: Hamburg, <laughs> Germany; Potts, Potsdam, Germany; Round Rock, Texas; Pune, India; San Pablo, California; Sacramento, California. Oh man, how do I said this one. Um, Tor, Torican, France. I know I, <laughs> I know I messed it up, but hey, whoever listened in France, email me in give me the correct pronunciation <laughs> um, um washington virginia longmount colorado and lincoln nebraska and as far as the countries go finland france germany india and the u.s obviously u.s at 51 percent though the rest of it is the other four countries i just mentioned so thank you for everyone for listening you know and um again you know i'm always just shot to go and look at the locations and notice that they're not only people in the United States but in other countries around the globe and it's still something that I don't know I mean look we only got five episodes left so I can just keep you know I can just keep reminiscing on this in a way so uh, yeah so um, thank, thanks you know for everyone for listening and just you know as we get into these last five episodes, here we are. Like I said, it's almost going to be 30. Well, this what 30 minutes It's going to be 90 minutes. And especially because I'm going to play this, you know, the remix to the Patriot at the end. And so, you know, I'm still looking to do the last episode. That's going to be like three hours. I'm going to take up all the time I have for the last episode. Cause I, for having, you know, having this podcast on Spreaker, I, I can, use up to three hours with the current plan so i'm just going to use all of it on the last episode because i know i can do this three hours every episode i mean even here you know at at an hour and a half but anyway not to keep going on but so uh again thank you for listening and like i said we're going to close out with uh the patriot remix and so until next time we'll chat with you later uh Tens of thousands on my right, thousands by my side. War between good and evil, why 
marching, I'm fiscalized. Battle for our freedom now, to the streets we ride. Flags waving all around, pages full of pride. This is where we make a stand, no more give or take. March around the capital, storm the city gates. Putting pressure on their necks until the truth breaks. All walls of corruption, take out all the snakes. Star Spangled Banner, got it playing loud and proud. People from all walks of life filling up the crowd. Defend the Constitution, many warriors avowed. Casting down any youngers who have bucked and cow. Enough for tyranny, we come to take our country back. For all citizens, white, red, brown, and black. Return it to a form of glory, fix the bloody crack on the crown. Fetch it down, it's going down. I'm not one to usually pick favorites. I'm either with my family or alone. But now I'm standing by the side of patriots. And I'm praying that we make it home. Timmer. My mama told me, yeah, she warned me that this day would come. I'm like my father, go to combat with the blazing guns. I survived that, then I came back to the place I'm from to face off all these haters and the battle in the place I love. You can't break me down, I'm indivisible. You still see my raps if I was invisible. But I'm standing tall, and I spit the truth. So you all appall, cause you know it's true. They call it freedom, cause the fallen troops pay for this. I love this country, doesn't matter how much hate I get. I take my colors in the battle, ain't no wavering. Cause this is for my warriors who marching to the patents This is for the sisters working hard on the ship This is for the brothers getting y'all doctorate Father, yeah, taking y'all on the ship Baby, tell me why it's hard for the patriot I'm not one to usually pick favorites I'm either with my family or alone But now I'm standing by the side of patriots I'm praying that we make it New hot and iced Sunrise Batch Coffee from Dunkin'. A bright and balanced, full-bodied blend, brewed so you can get summering from sunrise to sunset. And even after that, because that's when you can show off those string lights you hung in the backyard. Or re-hung. Enjoy a medium, hotter iced Sunrise Batch Coffee for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. And we're back with breaking news. The new Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. With an improved taste and zero calories, make sure... Jim. Ooh, yes. This tastes like the best Coke ever to me. We're on the air. I need to try it first. Con cero azúcar y ahora mucho más rica. ¿Será que la nueva Coca-Cola Zero Sugar es la mejor de todas? Descúbrela. 